Okay. Uh, you sound pretty good uh, to me on on your end. Uh, I and I. I sound crispy clear. You sound yeah. You're real crispy. Like fried chicken crispy. Mmm, like Kentucky crisp chicken. Like, am I okay? But the real question is, am I good fried chicken? Like, am I Popeye's fried chicken? Uh, yeah, I would say, I would say you're you're pretty. You're not, you know, like Popeyes isn't always crispy, but it is always good. I that's fair. You know, not everybody can be crispy all the time. That's true. Sometimes you just you have to to settle for less, and that's that's all right. You know, not everything can be perfect. Yeah, nice. You got to be, you got to cultivate the crisp. You know, yeah. If you want to be juicy, and I definitely would like to be juicy. You are so juicy. Anyway, <laughs> this is uh, casting from the closet, and we are recording. Um, welcome. I'm Paige. Just did my taxes and am not going to jail for not doing my taxes. Serban. My name is Rosie. High body count when it comes to computers, sir. Fuck, that's your own last name. Wow. I almost said your own last name. Because every time we do this, I always hear you say it. And so I, like... <laughs> We're not quite at that level yet. No. I... No. Although, if we were, I would not... I, I would high-key ditch my last name because I hate it. Um, It's kind of boring. Like, really, I love you, but it's kind of boring. I hate my name. You know this. <laughs> I really hate my name. So, who are you? Uh, I'm Rosie High Body Count when it comes to computers, Dawson. Yeah, she's been through uh, how many computers? Like, uh, throughout your lifetime? Throughout the last year or so? Uh, in the last two years. If you go from May of 2016 to now, so just about two years, um, I have used five computers. Uh, to be fair, not all of them have, like, broken. I was borrowing some. So, like, I borrowed at least one computer. Mm-hmm. I've owned four. Great. <laughs> it's, you know, you know what? <laughs> you know, if, if, I... you, if you just take into consideration my entire computer-owning lifetime, I've owned six. That's a lot of computers. I mean, like, what? even for your whole computer-owning lifetime, that's, I think I've owned, like, three. Listen. Anyway. Listen. <laughs> Today, <laughs> we're going to talk about the um, very, very gay and very, very popular and very, very amazing uh, graphic novel memoir. Um, and play Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. Um, oh, by the way, uh, if you haven't read the book and or seen the play, um, this contains, like, hella spoilers, as will probably be the case for all of our, um, subsequent episodes. So, you know, turn it off now if you don't 
like spoilers. Um, Please don't turn it off because we need the money. We're not even getting money from this. We just we're not need, getting money. We just need the attention because we're too... We need the attention. We're too sad and lonely gays that need attention. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm a very sad and lonely gay. Please listen to my voice. <laughs> Uh, the play has won, I think, two or three Tonys, uh, and it's been nominated for, like, just a, a shit ton of stuff. Like, you can just, I have my notes somewhere around here where, like, it's just, like, basically the, the play is fucking fantastic. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, Rosie, what happened to you when you first saw the play with me back in November? I will always remember the day that I saw it, by the way. Was it the... Like, I know that it was in November. It was on a Thursday. Was that in, like... No, that was on September. That was in September. That was in September? Yeah. So I guess you don't remember the Fuck day. Fuck me up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, it was the end of September. Actually, the ticket is somewhere right around here. I think it's on my floor, because uh, it fell off my wall. Um, oh, I still have the ticket, and the brochure, and, like, the little, like... They gave us two separate brochures for some reason. And I also have my brochure. Oh, hell yeah. It's on my fucking wall. That play, like, I didn't know what, like, I didn't know anything about Fun Home before seeing the play. What? Like, I've never, no, I never saw it. Like, I never saw it before. I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, oh, it is gay. And it has fun in the name. So I was like, oh, it's going to be fun. Wrong kind of fun. And listen, it wasn't fun. I mean, it was fun, but like, I did, it was, it was, it ripped me a new emotional asshole. And I just wasn't prepared. I, I wrote down at the top of my notes, um, I was not ready for the queer emotions, which like, okay, so, uh, fun home, like, fun home has been in my life for quite a few years. I think I uh, first read it when I was in high school, maybe my junior or senior year in high school. Lucky. So it's been it's been quite some time. Um, but I forgot just how much it emotionally fucked me up. Also, in that time that has passed since then, um, I've definitely like embraced my gay side a lot more. Uh, and, and just come into myself and, like, become my own person. And, and that just means, right. like, the, the growth of my queer existence. And reading this book is just, like, let me punch you in the face with gay. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I remember just, like, I... So when I first saw the play, I immediately went home and just read the whole ass book because I had bought the book ahead of time and just didn't read it before I saw the play um, and I read the whole book in one day and I just it's it was the first experience I'd ever had where I read something about just being queer and specifically being uh, like butch like more masculine um, and kind of like growing up like that and just it was the first time I had ever experienced anybody describing something so profoundly 
just relatable. Just really, I can, I don't even have another a better word for it. It it was just it was hashtag relatable. Um, and it it so like the book is about Alison Bechtel's childhood and college years, and she came out in college, and it kind of chronicles her relationship with her father, who you know was also gay, but you know highly just horribly repressed and sort of like comparing and contrasting her life with his leading up to his suicide while she was in college uh i think a sophomore in college like right after she came out yeah and i just the similarities like so there's this one scene in the book where she says uh you know, my father was really into interior design, and uh, we basically lived in a in a museum. And it's funny because that's not something specific about being queer, obviously. But she described that she actually had a room in her house that could no. There was no better word to describe that room other than a library. The library. Their house had a library. My house has a library. My parents are into interior design. I grew up in a museum. Like, it's fucking weird. It's weird shit, dude. You were Alison Bechtel without the um, father that slept with teenage boys. I mean, probably. Assuming that your father never did that. I'm assuming so. Um, Before, before we go any further, because I didn't get to say it earlier, and I know you could do the cool editing thing. Um, when I when I saw the play back in September, uh, I had an existential crisis for the following two days. Like I I just cried so much and questioned everything in my life. Yeah. Just straight up existential crisis, like pure raw. Just oh, it was it was wild. I mean, so what? Uh, what brought on? What about the play brought on that existential crisis, and why? Where do you think you were too young when you first read the book to have that crisis? Or um, I think the biggest thing was that, and like while I was growing up and really first starting to flesh out my identity and like experimenting and being like able to date women and try new things, um, because like I knew I was some form of gay, um, you know, bisexual, queer, whatever, since I was, like, in eighth grade, ni- seventh grade, seventh grade was when I came out, um, Jeez. but, you know, I grew up in a small school, and the only other gay person that I knew, uh, besides one of my friends, um, was another one of my friends, and, like, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to be open and kind of try stuff, and when, when I saw the play, um, because, I had briefly dabbled with Fun Home the year prior because uh, my roommate really liked that book, but I hadn't sat down and read it, um, you know, since I was in high school. And when I dabble, I, s- I dabble in Fun Home. Uh, <laughs> I hadn't had the chance to like really indulge in it, um, and I had the soundtrack on my computer, but I didn't listen to it, right? Because that's just the kind of shit that I do. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw the play, it was my first time experiencing the play and the entire, uh, like craft of the music and the scenes. Um, 
and I was also re-experiencing the book for the first time in three, four years, and in that time, everything about me had changed, um, and I was in a relationship where I wasn't necessarily happy, and I didn't really like where things were going, but I was comfortable, and things felt like, you know, there was, you know, if things didn't work out, I had a backup plan, it was a safety net, um, but relationship, it, yeah, but it wasn't yeah. anything close to I guess what I wanted uh, or what I really had dreamt about being, um, it was also like a straight relationship. (laughs) So, you know, not, not at all close to what I had initially dreamt of having, um, just in general. And then I, you know, went to see the play and I was like, holy fuck, there's this whole side of me that, you know, thanks to anxiety and money and figuring out my life plans when I'm 18 years old, like that just got swept away and I didn't get the chance to, like I lost touch of, you know, not being able to like get into queer orgs on campus and stuff like that. I I lost touch of like that queer side. Um, and really wasn't able to come at it with the same passion that I had because I lost touch with it. Glad to say that since then, since I've seen the show, I've 100% gotten back into it. Um, and I've kind of found what I lost, um, which has also helped me kind of figure out what I actually want to do just in general uh, forever. (laughs) Um, yeah. Is be gay. That's what you want to do in general. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but it it literally sent me into like an existential crisis and I am 100% like a different person from when I started the year. I guess the academic year where we went to go see it. Um, not to say that fun home itself can tr- like was the reason I changed my entire life. You mean, was it the reason you changed your major? Uh, Did you? Okay, listen, I'm going to disconnect the Skype call and I never want you to talk to me again <laughs> ever. But you can't even make that joke because I told you, I, I told you that I equated that song with with us when I started seeing you. <laughs> yeah. I've told you this oh, like man. a billion times. I mean, I like so here's the thing. Imagine the, so there's um there's a song in the play called uh Changing My Major and it's after the first time uh she sleeps with a woman. And uh it's her her college girlfriend, uh her name is Joan. That's her actual like real life name, Joan. Remember this is a memoir and the play is based on the memoir um so imagine you're joan and you went to oberlin college in the like late 70s or whatever early i guess this was the 80s um i'm too young uh to have any kind of like you know perspective on on when the hell this took place it might might as well have been like 10 bc i don't know um (laughs) anyway so imagine you went to fucking Oberlin College, uh, and you just dated this girl, and then, like, a couple decades later, there's a fucking song about you, about how awesome it is to have sex with you. There's a whole song called Changing My Major to Sex with Joan. Like, fucking, imagine the, the street cred of, like, yeah, bitch, like, somebody literally wrote a fucking song. Like, that's how good at sex I am. It won three Tonys. <laughs> 
<laughs> she had, like, the real-life Joan. The real-life Joan actually went and saw the play. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you know, she, like, was in contact with uh, Alison Bechtel uh, and went and saw the play. She's married, by the way. Uh, she got married in 2015 uh, and is very happy and lovely. And I love all of them. That's so, all the lesbians. That's so good. Did she get married after uh, 626.15? Yeah, yeah. She got married, like, directly after that, as many uh, queer couples did. I wish, um, I wish I had been one of those queer couples. I'm pretty sure at that point... You're a little young. Okay, listen. Don't, <laughs> don't let me, like, don't crush my dreams. Oh, I know. You have a tattoo of that... Uh, that day yeah i did i it was lit it was life-changing yeah um i wonder if like allison got in contact with joan before uh the song became a thing and was like no actually oh my god dude i looked it up um like uh, so they were in like a semi contact uh after college they kept in touch for a couple of years i I remember reading and um and then the play came out and allison was like yo uh want to see a play (laughs) and she was like yeah um so so that happened um i would yeah no i would be fucking delighted to be joan i don't even care if I'm not still dating Allison fucking Bechtel. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, Allison Bechtel uh, is a queer artist who, um, during, I think, the 80s, she uh, wrote a comic strip called Dykes to Watch Out For. Uh, here's a here's a free plug for for Bechtel, uh, you can go to dykes2watchoutfor.com and look at some of her uh, archived comics. Uh, so she's most famous for uh, something that you probably have heard of. Uh, it's called the Bechtel test, and it's a test to um, sort of rate, I guess, the the feminist cred, uh, if you will, of media. Um, and the test goes like this. Um, so in order for a a piece of media to be consumable, uh, you know, in a, in, through a feminist lens, I guess, like the the bare minimum, right, for any kind of for any kind of media, like a movie or a book or something, there has to be uh, two women, at least two women in it. The two women have to talk to each other, and they have to talk to each other about something other than a man. Uh, and there are different versions of the Bechdel test where, you know, like, that was the original Bechdel test, what I just described, but some people, uh, add in the extra criterion of, uh, both the women have to be named, um, but I don't like that version of the Bechdel test because it means that, uh, the hit 90s pop song, uh, Baby Got Back does not pass the Bechdel test in that regard. But if if the two women don't have to be named, then it does, and I that delights me. Uh, so are you telling me that if you use the original criteria and not the um, other version, um, Baby Got Bechdel? 
baby. Got motherfucking Bechtel. Bitch. Oh, shit. Oh, my anaconda don't want none. Unless you're feminist. Representation is on point. Representation is on point, hun. (laughs) Yes, um, there's also a a sort of uh, offshoot of uh, the Bechtel test uh, called the sexy lamp test, which I think is funny because it's like the remedial version of the Bechtel test. Uh, (laughs) It is because, you know, you think like, oh, two women talk to each other about something other than a man. That seems like really like a low bar. Uh, And it is. Uh, And a lot of movies, a lot of different media mostly movies just doesn't they just don't pass that test so there's a remedial version of the Bechtel test um where like you uh if uh the main female character can be replaced by a sexy lamp and the plot still makes sense then it doesn't pass the sexy lamp test <laughs> oh dear. Oh no. Um and I have in my notes somewhere the person who uh made who like kind of coined, I guess, the sexy lamp test and I want to give her credit. Um Were you were you there with me when uh we went to go see that improv show where they debated um if you would date a woman if every time or or a partner, I guess in that context. Um I think I think the game show itself was about to like your perfect woman or whatever um if whenever she was out of your peripheral vision she looked like a lamp or whatever yes, she I was, was at that show were, okay yeah yes that's, that's immediately what i thought of oh absolutely that's perfect um, i don't remember if she actually like turned into a lamp as soon as she was out of your eyesight or if she like just looked like one um but i think it was that she looked like one the real question is would that still pass the sexy lamp test if it was something she could not control and she just automatically became one at certain points um i it, what's the difference i don't really know I don't right know. yeah see so anyway so there's the uh there's at least three versions of the bechdel test uh so and that's and that's that that's what uh, Alison bechdel is most known for um and i mean the the book i think for me personally was a lot more uh poignant uh mostly because of the like eerie similarities and you know the eerie similarities um between my life and Alison Bechtel's life um and I w- some of those things are just me personally, but a lot of them I think are part of just being queer, and it kind of transcends the the time, right? And I kind of read the book, and it was really it was um sad, kind of in a way that like not. So a lot has changed. We've come a long, long way, but in a lot of ways, not a whole lot has changed about being queer, uh, at least in America. 
Um, I remember there's she describes some scenes uh, with her mother, and one of them is her mother just kind of just straight up asks her, do you love me? And she kind of, like, in the book, she kind of just pauses and says, of course I love you. But I don't know, it kind of embodies this uh, this sort of unspoken kind of tension between uh, queer uh, daughters and their mothers that I definitely identified with because it's kind of like, you know, my mom, my mom never straight up asked me, that's kind of weird, you know, straight up asked me if, if I loved her or not, but it, it kind of feels a lot, you know, when you sort of um, uh, eschew gender roles that uh, your mother is, is sort of clings to um, and kind of, you know, your mom, you kind of feel, at least I did, and I think a lot of uh, at least queer women and, and you know, female-coded people kind of feel that, kind of feel the the sort of disappointment and uh, I kind of felt my whole life as in, as if like that, you know, she was asking me over and over and over again, you know, implicitly, do you really love me? Do you, like, what, I what are you doing? <laughs> you know, um, and that was something that really stuck with me. I think that scene, um, and also there's a, there's a song in the play called uh ring of keys um and for those of you who might not know uh carrying keys on your on your like belt loop has sort of been like a lesbian uh like icon or, or trope or whatever uh for a really long time uh i don't know if it really is so much today but because i had never noticed it uh before i like learned about that um but then I started noticing it after I saw the play and after I, I kind of looked it up, it was, it was like, is that a, is that actually a trope? And it is. It's like fucking flannels, except not as prevalent anymore. Uh, you can definitely tell if someone's queer, if they have a, a, a ring of keys around their belt loop. But um, in that, in that song, Ring of Keys, she sees, uh, Alison Bechtel as a little kid, sees this uh, butch lesbian walk into a store with a ring of keys on her belt loop and one of the lines is uh she looks at the the butch lesbian and says i know you and i i feel that like you kind of even as a kid i would kind of look at like older queer coded women and yeah did, did you do that did you ever kind of like stare at people um I think, I'm not sure, um, I think that I did, or at least did things that, when I was younger, um, and not quite sure of my identity, or not quite sure of how that would relate to how I interacted with other people, I, I, I did things like, had like a strange fascination with, you know, the girl down the street, or um, one of my closest friends, or some, like, 
I don't know, teacher or something. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if I ever was able to like stare at somebody and feel that I saw myself in them. Um, because I definitely still struggle with just identity in general and kind of just like this floating, uh, mass and I just kind of take whatever. Floating gay mass. Yeah, basically I just take whatever form happens to come upon me that day. Um, but I've definitely like seen women and just like felt like something else. (laughs) Something else. Like obviously something good. Something else. Well, looking back, you know, as I've gotten older, I've definitely looked back and thought, wow, that is 100% what a crush was like, but because they were not male presenting or what my eight-year-old self would think was a boy, um, or they didn't identify as a boy, I didn't understand that because, you know, I was a girl, I had to like boys. Um, Right. Definitely when I was young, very, very young, up until about fifth grade, I was like, that growing up into homophobia kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I had very many examples of it. I think the little that was ever mentioned was never in a positive light. Um, and then Adam Lambert became a thing and he was on American Idol and he won. And at first I was like, Oh my God, Adam Lambert's gay. And then within a couple of years, I was like, Oh my God, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> the evolution. Um, it, it took a very fast 180. Um, as, yeah. soon as, I, as soon as I realized he was gay and I was like, Oh, this is not, I've been lied to for my entire life so far. Um, and then shit changed real fast. Oh, yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, I don't think so. I, I don't really know. Um, I think if any events like that have happened, they've happened where I at least was able to recognize that I had an attraction to the person. Um, I don't know if I ever saw myself in somebody else, even if they were just in like a diner or something like that. Um, but as time goes on, I've definitely been able to look at somebody and think, ah, yeah, that's that's what a crush feels like. That's, um, wow, I'm really gay, you know. Oh, man, I remember, like, not understanding what, like, what people were talking about when they were saying I have a crush on this person. I was like, I don't know, I'm, like, friends with this person. I like hanging out with him, you know. And then they'd be, like, you know, a guy would like me and he'd be like, want to go out and I'd be like uh let me check my feelings they're exactly like my feelings towards everyone else is I've that got, I mean I've got some free time I've got yeah. some free time between like three and four I might be able to like pretend to give a shit then yeah no exactly I'd be like yeah well I mean we can be I don't know you're a cool person I guess this is must be what crushes feel like I don't know I just that's, yeah, this is really not, this is really underwhelming. Um, and then I, uh, went out with, uh, women. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gotcha. That's, that's okay. <laughs> that's the thing that excites me about, like, learning about my identity and just, like, living as a queer individual is just being able to understand, like, my past relationships and things like that. Because I did slash do identify as bisexual. I I don't know so much anymore if I still feel like going with that word. Um, Because, you know, dating men was not usually very successful for me. Um, Not really have I been successful with women either. But 
they've been a lot more fulfilling than it was dating a man. Yeah. So, uh, I want to get a little bit more into, like, what exactly the book and the play are about. Because it really, I mean, I, I offered an explanation earlier, and it basically it really kind of is just that. It's just Alison Bechdel's childhood and college years um, and her coming out process kind of juxtaposed with her father's quote-unquote coming out process, which really basically for her father involves being married to a woman and then, you know, having affairs with men just his his entire adult life um and throughout the book and and the play to to an extent she describes her father as being uh, prone to like angry rages um and you know being having a, a very feminine sort of side uh in that, like, he's really into uh, interior design and really wants her to be feminine. I really identified with the whole, like, he really wants her to be feminine. Um, and there is a scene where she, in the book, where she describes uh, her father living vicariously kind of as a, like, a girl through Bechtel as a kid, right? Because she kind of hypothesizes as an adult looking back like he possibly wanted to be more feminine he could have even have been trans uh and he just wasn't able to express that and sort of kind of forced the femininity on his daughter um and you know i i you know i think a lot of people uh queer people especially identify with that whole like the gender roles were forced on me so she bechtel herself also has in in the book, she uh, intimated that she kind of lived vicariously through her father uh, in being masculine, being able to be masculine, and she had this sort of uh, fascination with uh, masculinity. And I really identified with that particularly because I had the same thing where I just really wanted to be... I don't know about... I, I didn't want to be a boy necessarily, but I... Just, like, masculine things, like, just fascinated me. Like, I wanted to be a cowboy. And I wanted to have, like, big muscles and whatever. And there is this scene where she, uh, as a kid, like, 12 or so, Bechtel describes uh, going out somewhere with her brothers and her dad and saying to her brothers, like, call me Al instead of Allison. And uh, feeling that it was very important that the people in public thought that she was a boy and she also describes her kind of disappointment with her father saying that she felt you know she would look at him and then kind of compare him to the other men that she had in her life like even strangers or whatever and she would think you know he's kind of a sissy like my dad <laughs> my dad's a sissy um which is funny uh it's such a a really interesting and just so sadly and intimately relatable to see her dad and and herself kind of like pushing against each other with their sort of uh, i guess repressed uh sexuality and in the book and in the play and in real life uh her dad 
sort of mysteriously, quote-unquote, commits suicide by jumping in front of a truck. Um, and the the problem is that, you know, the, she hypothesizes, she and her, her mother and I guess her family at large uh, hypothesize it as a suicide. And it can be inferred that his, you know, throughout his life he had such a, a horrible time with with repression um and and being unable to really live his life and just openly cheating on his wife with with men and that he committed suicide uh supposedly or you know just didn't see the giant truck coming at him just right after Alison Bechtel came out which is just fucking tragic and it just really speaks to the damage that not coming out and that being repressed and that be in denying yourself, you know, a, ha a happy, healthy life, what kind of damage that sort of behavior does, what sort of damage a homophobic society does. Um, and it's just, it's so that still happens. Like this happened in 1980. Like, her father committed suicide or or passed away, died in nineteen eighty. Like I don't know, that that was a long time ago. It also wasn't a long time ago and there's still people doing that today, uh, even in the US. Even more so in in the US than probably in, in other developed countries. So uh I think Fun Home is really um just very, very still relevant. And, and so incredibly poignant and yeah, I think just incredible. And it's, it's funny because I did write down a note about how intriguing it was that Allison is like the opposite of her father. Um, and I think it's interesting because sometimes I wonder like when I'm reading the book if uh, Allison's interests were magnified by the way her father was towards her in terms of like forcing those gender roles on her. Um, if she would have still had that strong interest without that sort of interest, you know, if her father had been more of the masculine figure um, that she sort of idolized, or if it, it just, it, it's interesting to see. Um, I partially wonder, like, is that because of how she was raised, uh, which I, I don't think it entirely is. Um, it's possible that there may be some sort of influence, or at least for a time there was, I think once, you know, she was able to like settle on an identity and be comfortable without her father, um, and possibly, most likely mother too, enforcing gender roles. Um, she was able to be happier, I guess. But um, I also find it interesting, I know that there are multiple points in the book where she does debate whether or not her uh, coming out had anything to do with her father's suicide slash death. Um, and it's it's something that it, it we'll never know. We'll never know. Right. Whether or not there really was any relation. And if there is anybody that does know, as far as I am aware, no one has ever said anything. But it's interesting to think about whether or not her coming out, you know, whether it had any influence on it. You know, who knows if he, assuming that he had committed suicide, there's no one that will know whether or not, you know, he committed suicide because he had lived in this repressed, just closeted life his entire life, had, you know, gotten in legal trouble because of the things he'd done related to sexuality and was already, you know, digging himself, I guess, a, a hole legally. Um, yeah, he uh, supposedly gave a beer 
to a minor, like a 17-year-old boy. Uh, I guess he, there's some parts in the book that's uh, sort of hint that he had had affairs with, he was an English teacher, um, and he had had affairs with his male students, uh, like high school age. He was a, so it's called Fun Home, by the way, because it's actually really macabre. Uh, Bechtel's father was a, a high school English teacher, but also uh, he ran the, the family business out of their home, which was a funeral, and they called it the Fun Home. Uh, so that kind of, the whole like funeral home thing kind of sets this, uh, this interesting dark background to the whole the whole thing the whole book and and the play even the play is a lot more upbeat i think but there's yeah the play is definitely i think it flip flops uh, between being upbeat because you you get to see these things fleshed out on screen it has more emotion to it obviously um if the songs are done right and the acting is done right which for you know a local production that we saw it was done very very well um but I, I personally think that if you have the right music and if it's done well enough, you can amplify the emotions of any scene. Um, and I think the play definitely like flipped back and forth, like reading the scene where they're out on a drive before, you know, the last visit home before her father passes away. Um, she's talking about talking to him at like the stoplights or whatever. Um, that scene did not stand out in my mind very much. And then when I saw the play, it, stood out so much more the song was a lot more memorable because right. I remember like I at that point I had totally I was just losing my shit like oh I was just a, an emotional mess um, there's a juxtaposition the book is a lot more I, I don't want to say it's more intellectual I, I think it involves a lot more um, interpretation and then there's a lot more layers to look through where the play doesn't necessarily the the play is whimsical. Yeah. I think the play like the book I, I would call the book very intellectual, not as intellectual as the as uh Alison Bechtel's uh book on her mom called Are You My Mother? But I yeah, no, the 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 memoir is is very uh sort of fraught, uh I would say. Whereas the the play kinda takes an interesting turn with it, I think. Uh and kinda makes it I mean, it's a musical, right? Yeah. And not saying that musicals have to be, like, happy and whimsical, but it definitely kind of takes the takes the memoir and puts it into, like, a, like a glass bottle of, um, it, it's, I, I would call it a lot more nostalgic. Yeah. Than the, than the book, uh, and the book is more, is more sad and more, contemplative uh whereas the the musical is like it's more like yeah and we went to the gay union the fact that there's a gay union uh in the late 70s at oberlin college fucking allison bechtel went to oberlin college for all y'all in ohio but yeah i just kind of trailed off with that thought sorry <laughs> the, the the book feels hollow it leaves you feeling hollow um, yeah, the book is very sad. Like you finish, it just yeah. I, you feel empty. Like I, I don't quite know how to explain the feelings that I get when you I read finish the book. it with a lump in your yeah, throat. Yeah, but you're not you're not necessarily looking to cry. It just leaves mm. you. It just kind of leaves you there. It leaves you there to think about your thoughts and 
contemplate yourself. Think about how how your experiences echo Bechdel's experiences. Yeah, there's there's an interesting scene um, that I remember sticking out both in the play and in the movie or in the book. Um, not so much in the play to me. I remember it, but I don't remember it having the same effect that it did um, to me when I read the book. But there's a scene where her father calls her into the the um, the room where he's doing his uh, funeral home thing. I think he was the embalmer. Oh yeah. He's, uh, into the embalming room, and she like doesn't quite know why exactly he called her in there. He does ask her for like a, a tool hand her a tool. Yeah, and there's a there's a dead body on yeah, the table. Yeah, he's doing his thing. He's he's working on a body, um, something she has never seen before. And she contemplates, you know, why exactly did he call me into the room? Did he call me in to see, you know, did his father do this to him when he was my age to get him his first experience with, you know, a dead body and with embalming? Right. Um, was there something more to that interaction? Or did he just want me to hand him this tool? You know, what there was, what was the meaning behind that? Why, why was it me? Why, why wasn't it somebody else? You know, why, why? Um, and I feel like that kind of echoes throughout the entire story. There's a lot of questions that are left unanswered because his, because of her father passing that will never be answered um, if the information is not available. And I think that scene itself sets a tone for the entire book because the, the entire book she's, you know, pondering about her father's life and providing the information that she knows through recollection um, and through information she's been given from other people and through photographs, um, family trips, that sort of a thing. But she contemplates so much. Like, his death in- itself is something that she has to contemplate and discuss the meaning of because, you know, did he commit suicide? Did he, you know, fall? Did he accidentally walk in front of the truck? We can't say for sure because nobody else was there besides him. And, you know, the entire book kind of pours into who he was as a person and how that plays into his death. Um, but His whole life was, was really, like, unsure. Yeah, for sure. You know? Um, it's... I'm looking at my notes here. I feel like I really made a, a good, interesting point about that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I did note that after she learns that he has passed... She doesn't really have a very depressive response. She said that she did genuinely cry to her partner at the time, who I believe was Joan, Mm -hmm. um, for about, like, two minutes, and that was it. You know, she comes home and greets her brother with this, like, wicked, like, smile, the kind of smile that you exchange with your siblings that only you and your siblings have. And, you know, she's talking to somebody in the record store. uh, She's like, oh, yeah, my dad died. They're like, oh, my God, why are you laughing? You know, she's like, it's, you know, because it's whatever. Like, my dad died. It's not a huge emotional burden on me. Um, You know, she talks about how strange it is where it seems like the entire focus around his passing was grievance. And she had so many questions. She had so much that she wanted to say about him being closeted and him, you know, sleeping with other men and having this whole other life and things that he could never pour into. And there was so much more than just the, you know, small town historian embalming, like, teacher that he was. Um, There's so much more to that. And while she doesn't have this emotional response to his actual passing, it's clear that it had an effect on her because she spends the entire book going into it. And, you know, 
maybe she doesn't have that emotional, like, I'm so broken up that my dad has passed, but it's enough that even if they didn't have the strongest relationship, his existence and being as a human and, you know, everything that he was, was enough to influence her to the point where his existence was a strong influence on her life. Right. Yeah, and it's... So one of my uh, favorite things in the book that's kind of... It's very hard to uh, interpret into a play. She's reading um, in her sophomore year of college. She's, like, right around the time she's starting to come out. Um, she's reading Ulysses by uh, James Joyce. And I wish I could say that I had read Ulysses, but I have I not. I read that. Yeah. Well, I think that it's... Uh, I mean, it, it, it's the journey of the hero kind of trope. And it's, um, like, the actual Ulysses and, like, in the uh, the actual Greek, like, tragic, like, the Odyssey. It's a journey. And it's, uh, it's a sort of a powerful... It's a very, very powerful sort of thing that she puts that Bechtel puts uh side by side with her with her coming out and her reading Ulysses uh in that it's a uh it's this really complex and just really dense horrible book that she doesn't want to read and it's about this this sort of adventure and this perilous journey and it's uh complex and um I think it's sort of a really brilliant metaphor for her her time in college and her her coming out process um and also for her father her father's life um and that it's just kind of tragic and complex and uh fraught with innuendo and uh symbolism and um you know a a lot of like metaphor and stuff like that uh so that's something that, you know, if somebody smarter than me uh, will have something more in depth to say about that. But I kind of, I managed to catch the, the sort of metaphor that she was putting out there uh, in, in the graphic novel. Uh, just fucking brilliant. Like, just, I mean, she draws comics. Alison Bechtel draws comics. She wrote a comic called Dykes to Watch Out For. But I mean, like. She's really, really just so fucking good and really intelligent and kind of she's really I, I think the, the, the graphic novel format is really great for how she tells her stories. Uh, also in Are You My Mother, the sort of I, I don't want to say sequel, but like, I guess, sister book to Fun Home. It's about her mother. Um, And in that, she kind of. uh. It's all kind of vignettes, I would say. The whole thing is uh, sort of made up of, of vignettes, Fun Home and Are You My Mother, and it's uh, the format is is perfect for that. Uh, what was I going to fucking say? Nice. I, I have not read Ulysses. I have not read Are You My Mother. I have not read many, many things just as I have not watched many shows or movies or listened to many songs. Um, well, you're uh, about to, because we ain't got to review everything on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to be like pulling teeth with me. I'm 
Uh, I'll make you. Oh, I was gonna say that uh, that Alison Bechtel kind of takes like uh, real life things and kind of puts them in the book, but sort so like there's this part in um, I can't remember if this is actually in Fun Home or if it's in Are You My Mother, but it's um she says basically that you know narrative is more important sometimes than truth right and that's sort of a metaphor for being closeted right because you know in your heart of hearts you kind of know that that's not true but there's also like the narrative of of your life uh saying that you know i had a perfect family and i was straight and i had a wife and kids or whatever um that's what her dad was saying the that was the narrative that her dad was putting out but of course it turned out that that was not more important than the truth and uh, she also kind of says that and, and sort of makes you feel like as you're reading it is this true you know yeah uh which i thought was just a, a really like brilliant she's fucking brilliant you go out there you take your gay ass outside you see that fucking play if you can't do that you read the goddamn book go to your your local library and get a copy if they don't have a copy request that they buy a copy also amazon is a thing Fuck take yeah. prime from your coworker and just be like i need this book for my class even if you're a 45 year old that hasn't taken a college course or high school course in like 20 years come up with an excuse the book is there start a goddamn go fund me you need to read this book <laughs> <laughs> just go fund me just for the book price just like, for the book extra include a little extra for shipping if you don't have like prime. shipping and handling yeah yeah and and play tickets oh yeah play tickets very important also support your local community theaters even if they're not that great they're doing their best yeah um, and a lot yeah. of the time you know local theaters are are actually pretty good yeah like i my mind was blown when we went to go see yeah um, our local performance. I'd never, never been to that theater before. Never seen any productions there. I hadn't even heard about it actually. Um, I remember over the summer, since we saw it in September, over the summer I saw billboards for the performance and was like, "Oh God, Fun Home is coming, and I have to go see it." But I didn't know anybody that wanted to go see it with me at that time, and you know, <laughs> tickets cost money, so I didn't pursue it. Um, you, that's why you have to have gay friends. Yeah. No, the only reason I went is because somebody else couldn't go last minute. <laughs> Wait, with me? We all went as a group, remember? Yeah, and you only went because somebody couldn't go last minute? Yeah, because everybody, they'd already bought I the didn't tickets know that. Before, before I was part of the group. Oh, they shit. They had already purchased tickets, and someone dropped out last minute. Uh, and I was like, hey, uh, I want to go. Wow, how clandestine. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Especially since that's like the first time I can remember that I can genuinely remember like seeing you and being relatively interested. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I've told you this a billion times. Oh yeah, I know, but it's you're really just, fun like, to hear you're just, you say like, it. Hearing about it. Oh like, my god. You're such a dork. I am. Uh so this has been Casting from the Closet. We're gay uh, as fuck. We're gay as fuck. Support our gay asses. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I, have, I have student loans. 
Yes, you can um, you can donate uh on the page through PayPal. Uh, you can also do Venmo if you wish. Um, and yeah, eventually, uh, hopefully, we'll have actual sponsors and uh, like a can set up a Patreon page or something like that. But um, right now we're just two gays talking into microphones. So see y'all later. Stay gay. Hell yeah.